Well, Leviticus 11 uh, through 15, these are some chapters dealing with, with ritual holiness. And I'm just going to read kind of some little, little excerpts from each, from most of the chapters to kind of give us a, an understanding of what's taking place in these chapters. And then we're going to try to get to the heart, this idea of, of holiness and apply that in, in our lives. So a lot of application this morning. We're going to be coming back to some things in here in coming weeks. And so kind of laying some foundational things today, a lot of application. And so hopefully it'll be helpful for us as we try to pursue the Lord in holiness. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me this morning as we read God's Word. Beginning in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare... Because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You should not eat any of their flesh, and you should not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And he goes on and gives some more examples. And then we come to verse 44 of Leviticus 11. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Chapter 12 describes the process of purification after childbirth. It says, after talking in verses 1 through 5 about the time of uncleanness and purification, it says, when the days of purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. And then we come into chapter 13, and we see laws regarding leprosy and, and other skin diseases. It says in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has in the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease or on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body, if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it is a case of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. If the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, then the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease is not spread in the, in the skin, Then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days, and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded, and the disease is not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption. He shall wash his clothes and be clean, and so forth. And goes on and describes 
the different types of skin conditions and conditions of garments and, and homes and then how uh, cleanliness should be determined. And uh, we see that in chapter 14. And then as we come to the end of chapter 14, verse 54, this is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease, in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. You may be seated. Uh, as you go through chapter 15, there are all sorts of descriptions for uh, laws about bodily discharges. I encourage you to read that on your own. Uh, no, there's all God's word is good. And hopefully, in all seriousness, you'll be able to take some of the principles we talk about this morning and read through all of these chapters together and say, okay, what is, is this what's happening here? Is this the heart that we talked about on Sunday? Is this really what's taking place here and hope that you will be encouraged. And Father, we do ask this morning, just for your great grace on us as we look at these, at these chapters and think about the, the truth here, help our hearts to be very sensitive to you, to trust in you, to have our faith in your son Jesus alone. We pray this in his name. Amen. What is holiness? What is is holiness? If I were to give you a a one-question quiz this morning, and the question on the quiz was, what is holiness, what would you say? How would you answer that question? Maybe you would say, well, well holiness is, is being like God, and, and that would be a, a, a true answer, right? But, but how? What is it about God that makes him holiness, uh, holy? And so how, how is our holiness related to him being holy? Saying God is holy is kind of like saying God is God. What does that mean? Maybe some of you say, well, well holiness is being good. A person who's holy is good. And, and that's also true, but good in what way? What does it mean that you're, you're good if you're holy? Some people would say, well, I remember that that some, somewhere I read that, that holiness means to be, to be set apart. And so a person who is holy is, is, is set apart. And, and, and that is, you know, great, you know, all these answers, you're getting good grades on these quizzes here. But, but what does it mean to be set apart? When we say that God is holy and that God is, is set apart, what, what, are you saying? what is he set apart from? Jonathan Lehman, in his book, I believe it's in his book, uh, The Surprising Offense of God's Love, writes this. He says, holiness is not just being against sin, but devoted to something else. Holiness is the measure of, of love's devotion to God, or more specifically, the, the purity of love's devotion to God. How purely does God love his holiness? Well, that's how holy God is, and how purely does a man love God? That's how holy that man is. So what is holiness? It, it is being set apart, but it's being set apart from something. I'm, I'm set apart from sin. I'm separated from that. And I'm, I'm not just trying to, to separate myself from sin. I'm, I'm devoted. I'm, I'm consecrated. I'm committed to God. And however pure my commitment is to God, and my love for his holiness, that's how holy I am. Now again, I'm, I'm trying to do some foundational things this morning, so I'll take a little bit more time here. 
I would suggest to you that in the church today, we don't talk about holiness the, the way that we should. And there are several reasons for that. On the one hand, I think that sometimes we don't talk about holiness because in the church today, and I think this comes from, from a good motivation, we want to reach people with the gospel. We, we want people to become Christians. And over the last hundred years or so, as our, as our culture has changed and our culture is much less committed to just biblical ethics, we, we find as we, we share the gospel with people that there's sometimes a pushback on some of the, the moral things that God calls us to. And so again, I think this comes from good motivations, but a person, is, churches are sharing the gospel with people and they say, okay, I, I want people to to become Christians. I want them to be a part of the church. And as they share the gospel, they find that there's this, as they start talking about morality, maybe there's this, there's kind of this, they reach this wall, this barrier, and the, the person kind of pushes back. And so what's happened is the church has said, well, we know that works don't save us. And so because works don't save us, a person doesn't have to stop doing something or a person doesn't have to, to do certain things to be saved. So I'm, I'm not going to talk about I'm not going to talk about God's morals. I'm not going to talk about his holiness because that's offensive to people. Now, again, I think this is often comes from very good intentions, but it's very misguided. It's unbiblical. It's certainly not what God has called us to do. So in, in this thinking, we say, okay, I, I, want person, I want people to become Christians, and so I'm going to share with them these, these truths about Jesus. I don't want to talk about holiness yet because that's going to offend them, push them away. And so instead, I'm going to find out what it is that, that they want, and I'm going to show them how Jesus can help them find that. So a person wants to have a good marriage. We, the church says, well, you know what? Uh, become a Christian. Jesus, Jesus wants you to have a good marriage too. A uh, person says, I want kids who, you know, sit up straight and chew their food and, and talk nicely at school. Hey, Jesus is about that too. Let me tell you about how Jesus can, can love you and help you in your parenting. Or a person says, you know, I want to be successful in life. Oh, man, Jesus is all about helping you be the person that you, you were meant to be. And so what do we do? We, we turn Jesus into this genie Jesus. And we say, okay, this is, this, now respond to this Jesus, and, and people do. And then we start talking about holiness, and like, wait, 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 what? Instead of presenting Jesus as, as Lord, you know, Zach saying about how, you know, who is, who is this king of glory? He's, he's son of God, he's son of man. When we call people to place their faith in Jesus, we're not calling people to place their faith in some genie Jesus. We're calling them to place their faith in the Lord of the universe, a Lord who is concerned with holiness. So I think one of the reasons that the church struggles to talk about holiness today is because in our gospel presentation, we've become very afraid of of talking about who Jesus truly is, our our theology. And again, sometimes from very good intentions, our theology has become, become very watered down. I was talking with a group of pastors recently, and one of the pastors was asking a question again from, from a, a, a very kind heart. He said, um, he said to the group, he said, when do you guys start talking about sin to your people? He says, we have people who have come in, and they've, they've had um, positive responses to Jesus, and, and now I'm just not sure how to start talking to them about sin. And I'm like, well, I don't think you've really talked about Jesus yet. <laughs> I don't think you've really exp- exp- talked to them about Jesus if, if you haven't gotten to the idea of his holiness and, and, and what, what it means to be, to be separated from sin and pursuing Jesus. Those things come up very 
very quickly as you preach through his word, right? Another reason I think we're sometimes slow to talk about holiness or one of the reasons holiness isn't talked about as as it ought to be in, in our churches is Sometimes we're afraid of legalism, right? We know that, that legalism, the idea that I can, can work to find myself approved by God, we know that that is a dangerous road to go down. And we, we know that saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not going I'm, I'm to listen to this music. I'm not going to watch this movie. I'm not going to wear uh, shorts that, that aren't you know, covering this part of my body or this, you know, this shirt or whatever. I'm going to not do these things. And then God will find me acceptable. We know that is a dangerous road to walk down. We know that is not a road that leads to Jesus Christ. It's not a, a road consistent with the gospel. And so we want to stay, stay away from legalism. And sometimes that causes us to shun holiness as well, which is absolutely contrary to the gospel. Brothers and sisters, holiness is, is so vital for us. There's a book that I've referenced many times before by a guy named J.C. Ryle. He's writing at the end of the 1800s, like 1879, so almost like 140 years ago. But what he says to his culture is, is even more true for us today. As he's writing the introduction to this book, he says, you know, he, goes, he asks a couple of questions. He says, for example, is it wise that we talk about faith and keep faith separate from sanctification, from growing in godliness? He says, I, I don't think so. He says, is it wise? Is it wise that we ignore all the things that Scripture tells us about, about pursuing good works, about pursuing things in terms of how we, how we dress and how we think and how we talk and how we work? He says, I don't think that's wise. And brothers and sisters, J.C. Ryle speaks truth to us from almost 140 years ago. It is not wise for us to avoid speaking about holiness. Consider what the writer of Hebrews twelve fourteen says. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews twelve fourteen. He says, Strive for peace with everyone, and that is, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that is an incredibly strong statement. Strive, pursue the holiness without which, that is without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that, again, is an incredibly strong statement. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. You say, well, Daniel, hold on. Are you preaching works-based righteousness? Are you saying I have to be holy in order to, I have to produce holiness myself to be saved? No. What I'm saying is, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In other words, you and I need holiness to enter heaven. And as we come to Jesus, we come not to genie Jesus, but we come to Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, who is perfectly holy. And we place our faith in this Lord, making him Lord and Savior. As we do so, he transforms our life, and, and we become disciples of him. And we pursue holiness because our lives have been transformed. Here's the main statement that I want us to kind of think about beginning this week, and this kind of central idea that I want us to shape, shape our thoughts in the weeks to come as well. It's this. Without holiness... That is, separating ourselves from sin and, and, and consecrating ourselves to God. So we're, we're, 
we're, we're set apart, we're separating ourselves from sin, we're, we're consecrating, dedicating ourselves to God, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Holiness is vitally important for the church. And I hope that we, we cling to that understanding this morning and in the weeks to come, and that we are motivated with a godly motivation to pursue holiness together. I want to ask four questions together. Two of these questions are going to be about specifically the, the, the text, although we're going to kind of go through it with a, a bird's eye view, and, and then we're going to do two questions of application. Here's, here's the first question. Why these laws, right? How many of you, as you've been reading through Leviticus at times, have come to chapters 11 through 15 or other parts of Leviticus and have just kind of asked yourself, why this, you know? Why, why, why this? I, I mean, why does God care about these types of animals? Why this regarding childbirth? Why these laws? That's a first question to ask ourselves. And, and here's, here's my answer. I hope you're writing this down. I don't know. Okay? I am not totally sure on some of these things. I don't know. People came up to me after, what about this? What about, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Read a lot of things this week about why, why this and why that, and, and, and maybe some of those things are true. I'm not sure why these laws. Look, look what we have here. You come into chapter 11, and he begins talking about food, and there's kind of this, this overview here of, of, of what, what's happening. Verses 1 through 8, he talks about land animals, and you can eat those that do two things. They have to chew the cud, and they have to have a split hoof. So that's sheep, it's goats, it's cattle. You can't eat those that, that don't meet both of those requirements. So uh, pork, you can't eat pork. Then you come into verses 9 through 12, and it talks about the water animals. And you can, you can eat everything that's a true fish. It has fin and scales. Okay, true fish. You can't eat those that, that don't meet that requirement. So like a, a shellfish. And he talks about birds and Verses 13 through 19. And kind of there's these, these, these birds that are prohibited seem to be birds associated with, with death. They're, they're predatory or they eat dead animals. And then he talks about insects in verses 20 through 23. And so if it, if it crawls on the ground, doesn't have wings, don't eat it, can't eat those that, that leave the ground. And then he talks about dead animals in verses 24 through 28. And then he kind of starts about starts talking about touching things there in verses 29 and following. Now, now why, why these? What makes something in or out? I'm not sure. Some have said, well, maybe it's related to health, and, and that works with some of these. For example, pork call, uh, contains uh, trichinosis sometimes. Maybe that's part of it. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's all. Some have suggested, well, perhaps it's related to the, the created order. And there's the, the same, some of the same divisions as you go back to, to Genesis. And, and maybe, maybe that there's part of that that's true, but it doesn't, doesn't fit all the animals again. You come to chapter 12, and chapter 12 describes uh, the, the conditions re- regarding childbirth. And again, you say, okay, why, why deal with childbirth? And, and why, why is the male child, after the birth of a male child, she's unclean for seven days? And, and why for the... For the uh, for a female child, for a girl, is she unclean for, for 14 days? Why, 
Why is that? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with the connection to, to blood, life, and as we go into chapter 15, we see that a, a girl in, in the future is going to be more often ritually unclean, and, and maybe there's, there's something related to that as the, the mother uh, deals with that here in, in chapter 12, but, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But as you, as you read these chapters, why these laws, I, I, want, I want something to just kind of be, be noted here. Just because you are ritually unclean doesn't mean you're in sin. Okay? When a person is ritually unclean, it doesn't mean they've, they've sinned necessarily. A person who, who has a child has not done something sinful. It means that she's ritually unclean, impure, but, but not, not sinful. She's separated from, from uh, approaching the sanctuary, but, but not because of sin, because of ritual impurity. A person is walking along, uh, someone dies next to them, they, they touch the body. That, that's not sinful, but there's, there's ritual impurity. You come into chapter 13, and you go into chapter 14, and, and there's all sorts of descriptions regarding skin disease. Now, you say, why skin disease? Why not heart disease or, or fever or some other type of disease? I'm not sure, but, but again, all, there's all sorts of conditions of the skin and spots the homes, garments that are described here. Ritual impurity takes place as a person has this condition. doesn't mean that they've, they've sinned. Then you come into chapter 15, and there are all sorts of things about bodily discharges. And again, some uncomfortable things there. You kind of, what, what is he saying here? And it seems to be reminding the Israelites about sexuality and holiness related to the various physical parts of the body. But, but again, the why these certain things and not other parts of the body, it's not totally clear to us. And part of that, perhaps, is just the separation of, of thousands of years in a, in a different culture. So that question's hard. And, and it's a question that people get hung up on a lot as they approach these chapters. And I, I'm convinced that even the Israelites may not have always understood the answer to that question. There's some things that God is conveying. That are like, I don't know why this and not this, but this is what God has told us to do. But let's ask the, the question a different way. Here's the second question I want us to think about. Why these laws? Not why these laws, but, but why these laws? And, and this is much more clear to us. Look at chapter 11. As you come to chapter 11 in, in verse 44, again it says, Look, I'm the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, he, here's what's happening. These, these laws about ritual holiness are designed to, to point the people to moral holiness, to true holiness. Just like the sacrifices are, are a picture of something else, just like the priestly system is a, is a, is a shadow, of, a picture of someone else, these, these laws and this idea of ritual impurity and uncleanness, it's a picture, it's a shadow. It's an illustration of, of moral unholiness. The people were to understand that, that this is a picture of, 
an image that God is communicating so that we can, we can, we can grasp who he is. Remember, as we came to the book of Exodus, there was this big problem. And the problem is, how can we be in the presence of a holy God? How can we be in the presence of a holy God and, and him not consume us as we travel with him? And Leviticus is all about how these sinful people can be in God's presence. And so God is using some, some rituals. He's using food. He's using childbirth. He's using disease. He's using bodily discharges. He's using all areas of life to communicate to the Israelites, look, um, you, are, you are separate from me. And you are to pursue holiness. That's the purpose of these laws. There would there be signs to show that holiness, purity, clean, cleanliness is needed to enter into God's presence to worship. Just like you, you can't be ritually impure and come into God's presence to worship, so morally can you, can you not have a right heart and come before God to worship. The people would understand that. They'd understand the picture that, that God is presenting them with here. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. I was thinking about this as a shadow, an illustration of moral holiness. Isaiah 1, 16, we read, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. So he's, he's using language related to, to ritual purity. He says, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. In other words, the, the ritual purity was a picture of, of moral purity that was to take place. Jeremiah four fourteen, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? As you come to the book of Deuteronomy, it becomes very clear that the people of faith understood that these, these rituals they were going through were to point to something true, something spiritual taking place in their hearts. You come to chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, verse 12, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. He talks about the greatness of God, and he says in verse 16, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. In other words, circumcision, that the physical act was, was a picture of what was to take place spiritually, and the same is true with all these rituals. Hey, these are, these are things to remind you as you eat. They're things to remind you as you have a new baby. They're things to remind you when you're in disease that you are separate from God. And you are to be devote, you're to separate yourself from sin and devote yourself from God. And that, that sin separates us from worship. Why these laws? Well, a couple things. To, to help his people understand that the importance of separating themselves from sin. To help his, his people understand the importance of consecrating themselves to God. To help his people turn to him to receive his provision of holiness. You see, in this time of, 
of, of impurity. For example, in chapter 12, as the, as the woman re, is restored to, to uh, ritual purity, what does she do? She offers sacrifices. What have we seen about sacrifices? Sacrifices are a, a constant picture of the provision that God offers so that people can be in relationship with him. It's the gospel. So over and over again, as they eat, as they have children, as they suffer through disease, the people are reminded of their separation, their need to separate from sin and to consecrate, to dedicate themselves to God. They're reminded that only God can make the provision necessary for them to enter into his presence. Ritual impurity, separation from these things, pointed them to to moral holiness. Now here's, here's the next question I want us to ask together then. Why is it so important to be holy? Why is it so important to be holy? The, the ritual purity here taught the people that without moral purity they can't be in God's presence and worship him. Why is it so important for us that we be holy? Now, I'll give you a couple reasons here. And again, th- these and, and the uh, next section are kind of adapted from some things J.C. Ryle said in his book, Holiness. Again, I recommend that to you. But as I go through these, I want to be careful. I don't want to talk about why it's important to be holy, and, and, the, and then you come away saying, okay, uh, I guess I got to be holy, so I'm going to be holy. I, I, want there to be, I want there to be a love for God and a motivation to pursue holiness together as a church because we love God. You know, we're, we're going to take communion together here in, in a few minutes, kind of at the end of the message. And I want there to be, as we take communion together, there's, there's excitement because we love God and we want, we want to pursue him. Why is it so important to be holy? Here, here's a couple things. One, holiness is commanded by God, right? Number one, holiness is commanded by God. First Peter 1.15b, as he but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in, in all your conduct. Secondly, holiness is why Christ came into the world. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about husbands and wives, and as you, you look at what it says there about husbands and wives, you see this picture of Christ in the church. It says, husbands, love your wives. This is verse 25 of Ephesians 5. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Okay, so, so why did Jesus come into the world? Why did he die on the cross? You know, say, well, he died on the cross because he loved me. That's true. He, he died on the cross because he wanted me to go to heaven. That's, that's true. But, but look at how it's described here in Ephesians. He died, gave himself up for you to make you holy. In other words, as we think about genie Jesus versus Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus is much more concerned with your holiness than with with your self-actualization. For to pursue the purpose for which Christ came in the world, we're going to pursue holiness. Holiness is the only proof we have that we truly love Jesus Christ. Now, this is a strong statement, but it is inescapable as you look what Jesus says about you and about me. John chapter 14, he says, look, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You come to chapter 15, he says, look, you're my friends if you do what I command you. As we find ourselves pursuing holiness and obedience to what God has called us to do, 
it's the only proof that we have that's, that, that's, that's tangible that, that we love Jesus. If you say to yourself, I love God, and yet you walk in disobedience to him and have no desire to pursue him in obedience, you are, we are deluding ourselves. We're delusional. going to talk about sexuality and holiness in, in a few weeks, but, but I would just kind of say this, just as an illustration, just as a pastoral exhortation to, to a young person. Look, if you should know, if, if there's a person who's coming into your life and saying words, I love you, I love you, I love you, and yet wanting you to, to walk in a way that's disobedience to God, they are lying to you. They're lying to you. Maybe not intentionally, but they are lying to you and, and potentially themselves. How do I know that I, I love Jesus? I, I walk in holiness. How do I know that I love others? I, I encourage them to walk in holiness as well. Why is it so important to be holy? Because as I, I walk in obedience, as I, I think about what I, I listen to and what I watch and, and what I think and how I act, what I wear, all those, all those aspects of life, it's, it's proof not that I'm doing these things to be found acceptable by God, but doing these things because I, I love my Lord Jesus. Holiness, number four, is, is evidence that we're, we're true children of God. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews. They say, look, Abraham's our father, Jesus. And Jesus says, look, if, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. Jesus says, if, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Look, if, if God were your father, you'd love me. You'd be obedient to me. You'd be holy. Uh, Whitney and I have four children, and uh, each of them are just, just so unique, right? But as you look at each of our children, you can, you can tell that they are our children. You spend a lot of time talking to Hannah. You say, boy, I, I, hear, I hear her dad and some of the things that she says. You watch Hannah, our oldest child, work, and you look at boy, she is she is smart and she's efficient like her mom. You, you uh, watch Austin, my son, walk. You say, boy, he just kind of carries himself a lot like his dad sometimes. Someone this last week saw my son Noah. Says, boy, I can't believe how much he's 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 looking like you. He's and you know you see some features of, of Whitney in him. You, you spend much time talking to to Ellie, our, our youngest daughter. You said, boy, she just you know she has a some some things that really remind us of Whitney. Some things, you know, she she uh, she hates germs. It's kind of like her dad. I mean, you just you talk to her. There, there's there's her dad in her. When people look at you and me, they should see our heavenly Father. And if you are you and I are not people who are pursuing holiness, we are not. We are not like our Father. And there's a, there's a potential that we aren't even children of God. You see, the danger, I think, that's happened in the church, is we, we, and again, not, from, not always from bad motivation, we say, I, I just want people to love Jesus as I want them to come to the church. We say, here's, here's genie Jesus. They come into the, the church, and they haven't really placed their faith in the true Jesus. And, and now there's a bunch of people in, in the church thinking that they're Christians, and they aren't even children of God. We've got to be careful. Holiness. Number five is the most likely way that we can do good to others. As we pursue holiness and love of God, we love others. 
Number six, holiness is our only path to peace here on earth. There's a, there's a proverb that I, I often quote to people, and I quote to myself. If I'm talking to someone in a counseling session, I've mentioned this before, and, and they've said, look, Daniel, I'm, I'm committed to pursuing this life of, of disobedience. I've said, okay, but there's, there's a proverb that I, I want you to think about, Proverbs 13, 13, the way of the transgressor is hard. And so as you leave and you commit yourself to this, to this, this path that, that isn't reflective of God's holiness, I, I love you and I pray that your path is hard. And as your path is hard, I pray that you remember that God said it would be hard and you, and you realize this is not a road that leads to life and, and you turn. It's a prayer I pray for myself as well, right? 1 John 2 says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, as we, we have confidence in our relationship with him if we're obedient. First John 3.19, by this we know that we are the truth and reassure. There's, there, there's reassurance in our hearts before God. I don't, don't want to know that I'm a child of God. There, there's obedience. And what does that bring? It brings, brings peace. Lawlessness doesn't bring peace. If you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to decide for myself what my ethics are. I'm going to decide for myself how I use my, my finances. I'm going to decide for myself what I, what, how I entertain myself. I'm going to decide for myself how I, I live my life and relationships. If, if we decide that for ourselves, the way of the transgressor is hard. The, the way of the path of the person who says, I'm not going to follow the paths of the Lord. It's, it's going to be a hard life that does not yield peace and joy. And, and some of us know that from experience, right? If we say, I'm going to pursue legalism. I know that, that lawlessness doesn't work, and so I'm going to pursue legalism. I'm, gonna, I'm going to find all the rules that I can possibly find to, to enjoy life and peace, and so I'm going to do these things. We are not going to find joy in that because we are not sufficient to do the things that God has called us to do in and of ourselves. Some of us have tried legalism and realized it doesn't work, right? It's not the path of peace. The only path of peace that is offered us in life is a path of holiness. The path of holiness. Holiness brings peace, and I pray that all of us know this from experience. Holiness, lastly, and then we get to this last question. Holiness is absolutely necessary to enjoy heaven. Absolutely necessary to enjoy heaven We'll talk more about that. Here's the last question. What does holiness look like practically? What does holiness look like practically? Now, again, I want to be careful here because I'm just going to give a couple things here just to kind of give you a picture of some things that are true of a person who's growing in holiness. But there's a danger as I talk about these things, right? The danger is we say, okay, a holy person does these these five, ten things. I'm going to do those five or ten things and I'm going to be holy. And, and that's not how we achieve holiness. Our family uh, has a, a hilarious game we love to play. It's called Honk at the Person Walking in Front of the Car. Person gets out of the car. They're coming. They're, they're, the, the last person, last person coming from the house, you know, we backed up the car. We're all waiting in the car. The person's coming through the garage and get ready. And then we, you know, the, the kids are shouting, honk, 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 honk. And depending on whether it's me or Whitney in the driver's seat, um, there's a honk and the kid jumps and it's hilarious. Again, perspective, right? 
You'd think they'd expect it, but no. Now, what causes the loud noise? It's, it's pressing the horn. The, the noise doesn't cause there to be a horn. In other words, if, if the kid were in front of the car and just shouted at the car, it wouldn't cause there to be a horn there. The noise is an effect, not the cause. Now, the same is true of holiness. Doing good things doesn't cause holiness. You don't say, I want holiness, I'm going to do these good things. Holiness produces something. So here are some things that holiness produces. Now, if you don't see these things in your life, don't start, well, I'm going to start doing these things and then I'll have holiness. No, pursue Jesus, life transformed, then, then you should see these things. Here, here's, here's what I mean. The person who's growing in holiness first of all, agrees with God. A holy person agrees with God. They say, you know what God says, I agree with. They, they come to Psalm 1830. It says, the word of the Lord proves true. This person says, yes, I agree. The person who's growing in holiness strives to flee every known sin. We'll get more into that in weeks to come, but, but Hebrews 12.1 tells us we, we lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. And the person who's growing in holiness says, okay, here's sin. As, as, as every known sin is revealed to me, I want to I flee it. This isn't what I want to do. And, and yes, there's a draw to this, but I recognize this is not who I'm called to be. This is who I've been set apart to be. I'm going to do all that I can, no matter what the cost, to flee it. The person who's growing in holiness yearns to be like Jesus Christ. The person who's growing in holiness produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are are true in the life of the person who's growing in holiness. The person who's growing in holiness denies self. Now now don't get stressed if you can't write all these things down. These these aren't the things you're you're pursuing anyway. We'll talk about them more, but... Should terrify us, so they're not causing each other to, to stumble. We deny ourselves. We we love others. It's another characteristic of the person who's growing in holiness. We we love others. We grieve over sin in our life and the lives of others. We demonstrate humility in our walk with the Lord. We pursue ministry caring for each other. We prove faithful in small and large obligations. All these things are, are things that we see Scripture describing of, of holy people. Now, here's, here's what I want to say. Without holiness, that is separating ourselves from God and consecrating ourselves, separating ourselves from sin and, and consecrating ourselves to God, without holiness, we, we won't see the Lord. The gospel message, every gospel message should, should be permeated with Hebrews twelve fourteen. this, this idea that, that we need holiness. But what we understand is that the true gospel message says we need holiness, and holiness is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, he, as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, committing to, to following after him, he transforms, he changes us, and, and the fruit of holiness is manifest in our lives. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. I keep saying that. It's true, Lord willing, if he gives us four weeks. This, this pursuit of holiness doesn't take place individually. We do it together. 
And if you look at your life this morning and say, boy, I, there, I, I have the shame from this experience. I, I, I haven't pursued holiness in this area. Here's, here's what I just want to tell you. The gospel is not about us produce, producing holiness in ourselves. It's about us yearning for the holiness that God provides through his son, Jesus. And we pursue this holiness not through legalism, not through judgmental, harsh, condemning language with one another, but, but through a commitment to following the Lord Jesus Christ and us as a church saying, look, we are all committed to doing whatever it is that God has told us to do we're going to help one another gently, but, but clearly do that. Father, again, we ask this morning that you would you both work in us so that we, we want to pursue you and that we have the ability to pursue you. We recognize that, that our, 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 our best works are filthy deeds in and of ourselves. We recognize that you have saved us for a purpose, that the purpose that we should do good works you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Help us to be obedient to you, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.